Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Forever Dog Just between us Hey Just between us Hey Hello I'm Allison Baskin I'm a writer, mental health advocate And owner of three tattoos I don't know, I got a new tattoo <laughs> Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon week, And my roots are horrible right now We don't need to say horrible You could just say growing in They are quite dark So what's with the tattoo? Does it have to do with relationships? Is it about love? Why are you being so accusatory and you're questioning about that? Oh, well, be, I'm not being accusatory. I Because you you made it a mystery. It's not accusatory. It's like you made it a mystery. So I'm trying to see if I solved it. I got a flower to represent resilience. Okay, but that's all you want to say about it? Oh, to me, that implies like in all aspects of my life. Like to me, I think the, lo- the lotus can like, it means a lot of things. But for me, it's like about my ability to thrive in all sorts of circumstances, including not great ones. Of course. Oh, okay. So it's not just about love and relationships. It's about work. It's about everything in life. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So explain to the people where it is and what it looks like. So I already had a, a late blooming flower on my right forearm. Mm-hmm. And that's to symbolize that the best is yet to come. And then I got on this exact same place, but on my left arm, a lotus flower. I mean, did I do a ton of research into what lotus flowers mean before I got this tattoo? No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I basically told uh, my best friend that I was getting a a flower to represent resilience. And she was like, oh, a lotus flower? And I was like, never heard of it. Let me look into it. And then it looked prettier than the one I had been planning to get. Right. But I didn't totally understand all of the meaning associated with it and how many people have lotus flower tattoos. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But for me, it represents resilience. And it's just like kind of a reminder that I can get through stuff. That's beautiful. I mean, look, you're not the the first person to get a tattoo in the wake of a breakup, obviously. When I broke up with my ex, I chose a ghost on my forearm to represent that I wanted to die. (laughs) (laughs) So we all have different ways of handling things. I wouldn't say that mine is just in reaction to the breakup. I will say I, I didn't get a tattoo earlier because my ex didn't really like tattoos. Gross. And so I was like, oh, okay, I guess I just won't get any more. No big deal. And now, you know, I love tattoos. And so now that I'm not with him anymore, I was like, now I can totally get one without like, it wasn't like he was like, you can't have any more tattoos. It was more just like, I knew he wasn't a big fan. My family's not a big fan. I was yeah. sort of like, okay, I already have two. It's not the end of the world if I don't get any more. And then I was like, oh, you know, a fun thing I want to do is get another tattoo. <laughs> yeah. When are you dyeing your hair pink? Remember remember that conversation? Of a recent one? You wanted, not recently, but you always wanted to dye your hair pink. I feel like... Oh, I don't feel that way anymore. <sighs> the rebellion's over. <laughs> <laughs> to me, this is not a sign of rebellion. To me, this is like, I just think it's beautiful. And um, I think tattoos are beautiful. And then I, it's a fun, it's a fun reminder to myself. You do very good, like, black and white line work. Like, that's kind of your vibe. And then mine is like a a child scribbled on a napkin (laughs) at a TGI Fridays. Like, that's what I've got. Yeah, like, I had to, like, book this appointment, like, weeks out with this artist. I went to the same salon that I... Is that the right way to call it? Parlor? Parlor. (laughs) I went to the same parlor as the one I got on my right arm. But it's a different artist. But he also does fine line tattoos, so... Yeah, I like it's very beautiful. I saw on Instagram. I like that you have like a thought out sort of theme and color scheme. What's that like? (laughs) 
And also, what is this show? Uh, welcome to Just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal, brutal honesty. I'm so happy. Okay, today we're doing um, our big ADHD episode, which I'm really excited about because I've really wanted to do an episode about ADHD for a very long time. And I mentioned this in the interview that we did with our guest, but the response on Instagram when I said we were doing an ADHD episode was one of the biggest responses we've ever received. People were jazzed. Also, on my Patreon, patreon.com slash emotional support lady, I did a video with your partner, Mal, about living with ADHD. And that was definitely like had some of like the most feedback from from my posts on there. And and I think it's just really helpful for people to understand like the day to day of of what that looks like and the misconceptions we have about it. So Mm -hmm. not to also plug my own Patreon, but Subscribe for a month just to watch this video with Mal because it was so helpful. I watched the whole thing. That'd be weird if you didn't. Well, they were (laughs) they felt very supported. They were like, you watched the whole thing. I was like, it was great. Super fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I think like people have this idea of what it's like that is just even I did before dating Mal, even though my sister has ADHD, but I didn't realize how much of it was not what we picture it to be. It's Mm -hmm. not like a... A, a hyperactive child. And I think that a lot of people have been done a huge disservice by the incorrect stereotypes. Um, and so they don't get diagnosed or they don't feel that they can self-diagnose. Or they don't feel like they can get the help they need. And so that's why I wanted to do this episode. And also it was kicked off by Allison wanting to do an episode on her Patreon that made us think this would be a good topic. So go watch the interview on Allison's Patreon and then and then come back and listen to this episode. <laughs> Yeah, leave what you're doing right now. Go leave pay it. $5 uh-huh. and then come back. <laughs> I, I think they're companion pieces. There's a there's a prequel and a sequel, baby. <laughs> or you could just stick around after the break where we'll be joined by Jack Levine Pritzker to talk all about ADHD. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, we have Jack Levine Pritzker, who is a community coach for women and non-binary folks with ADHD. We have never had the response to uh, a topic that we did to this topic. We got a ton of DMs about ADHD. So first of all, I wanted to ask, what it was your journey to, to diagnosis? Oh, I'm so excited. So many people are interested. I was apparently diagnosed as a child. I have no recollection of it. My parents didn't really seem to kind of take to it. And it just wasn't part of my childhood. And then in law school, I was really suffering. I had great grades. However, behind the scenes, I was like pulling constant all-nighters, having anxiety attacks, like pulling out my hair. I gave myself like a little bald spot. It was pretty intense. And I was just noticing that my level of suffering again was like pretty disproportionate to a lot of my peers. So I decided to go to the school counselor for what I was thinking was depression, anxiety, something of that nature. She was like, hey, have you ever been diagnosed with anything else? And I was like, um, I kind of have some weird recollection of like maybe ADHD, but I don't, that's not what's happening. Like my grades are really good. Like that, you know, I'm, I can sit still, like that's not me. And she was like, eh, you might <laughs> want to pursue that. <laughs> and so I did. And I got diagnosed in my last year of law school. What do you think were the signs to her that it was ADHD? I look back on it and I often wonder if she herself had ADHD because she just seemed to be like more in tune in a way that most professionals in my experience aren't. I think she really picked up on the overwhelm. Like I was just so chronically overwhelmed all the time. And I was struggling to prioritize things. And I remember talking about like my professors are making me approach this assignment this way, but my brain won't let me do it this way. I really want to do it this way, but they won't let me. Mm. So, and I mean, the body focused repetitive behavior stuff can be 
related. So those are some things that I imagine (laughs) she was picking up on, but I'm not totally sure. You're talking about pulling the hair out? Yeah. So you've talked about on your Instagram, the the perception of who has ADHD and the reality. And you talk about like a little boy misbehaving in class versus like someone who has graduated law school. So like, what's the misconception of who has ADHD and what that manifests as? So I think when most people think of ADHD, myself included, prior to exploring all of this, it's kind of like a little boy being super rambunctious, hyper in class, interrupting, you know, jumping all over the place, or, you know, kind of the more just like super forgetting things all over, etc. And while that exists, that's certainly like a subtype and an experience that folks have. There's also, you know, ADHD does not discriminate against anyone. And it's certainly not a monolith. So it's experienced kind of in every way um, that it can, that it could be experienced. And sort of, you know, the folks that I work with are women and non-binary folks, basically at this point, like non-cis men. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And oftentimes that experience just looks so much different, in my opinion, based mostly on socialization and some other factors. And you know, the DSM criteria is like studied based off young white boys, particularly. So the criteria that when you go to get assessed, there's there's no consideration for other genders, other experiences, etc. So it creates just this huge disconnect. So how does it present differently? Like what are some like kind of like tangible differences between like how we assume it is and what it really is like? So for starters, so ADHD is now in the DSM divided into three categories. So there's ADHD hyperactive slash impulsive type, ADHD inattentive type, which used to be known more as ADD, and then ADHD combined type, which is a combination of the two of those things. So in a very gross oversimplification and generalization, a lot of times cis men ha- are, are working with the hyperactive slash impulsive type. Again, very much not always. A lot of folks who are not cis men um, are, are usually ha- do- struggling with or working with a inattentive or combined type. And even if you are, even if you do have the hyperactive impulsive type, it might be more internalized. So rather than bouncing up and down or jumping all over the place. You know, you can see a lot of people like myself right now, like tapping my feet. You can't, you would never know, right? But doing like really, really small things or kind of hyperactivity going on internally in the brain rather than externally. So that's kind of like an overview. What I see most often in ADHD is in the people that I work with in particular, It's just so different from those stereotypes. The way that I kind of think about it, um, and this is, of course, only my opinion and experience, is there's kind of like a neurotype and there's certain traits that come out of that. And then I also see kind of these secondary things that, in my opinion, often come out of the trauma of living in a world that is a total mismatch for the way our brains work. And those are the symptoms that I see most often being really hard and really harmful for the individual. So when I hear like chronic overwhelm, my brain is immediately like perking up to ADHD. Of course, plenty of other people experience chronic overwhelm, but that's something that really perks me up. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of challenges with working memory executive functioning challenges. So if you think of executive function as like the CEO of the brain, um, a lot of us struggle with time management, with working memory, with kind of like planning and executing long-term plans and those types of things. Emotional dysregulation is one of the number one things that I see, which is why it's often misdiagnosed as bipolar borderline personality disorder. Sometimes there's overlap, sometimes there's both, sometimes it's one or the other because the emotional dysregulation piece, despite it being the number one thing that I see is not even in the DSM. What is that emotional dysregulation? 
It varies per person. The way that I see it and experience it is really high highs and really low lows. Many of us also deal with something called rejection sensitive dysphoria. You're familiar? I have a partner with ADHD. Yeah. Okay, I was going to okay. ask you about <laughs> rejection sensitivity dysphoria yeah. for sure. Let's get into that. Yeah. So that is, first of all, really controversial. And I'm still learning and kind of exploring what lands for me and how to think about it in, in a less pathologizing way that I often see it talked about. But essentially at the face of it is kind of this hypersensitivity to perceived or real rejection or criticism. And I see that as a core of a lot of the emotional dysregulation. It's not all of it. There's a lot of other things that contribute. But I, I personally believe that it's because most folks with ADHD are criticized way more than their peers growing up, whether that's really outward, like, why can't you just sit still or whatever, or kind of like smaller things like you have so much potential, like, how come you couldn't like we've been here 10 times. Why can't you remember the directions? Like those kinds of things that I think we become really sensitive naturally uh, to those things. And so when when you're talking about like that so much of it is internal, how can like we as a society sort of like be be more aware of that? And like what kind of accommodations can we make mm -hmm. if like we're interacting with people with ADHD, living with them, working with them? Yeah, because for some people, RSD is more externalized in anger and kind of outbursts and, you know, whatever. And for other people, it is more internalized. So it really does depend. And I think I always feel like the best thing for me is to have just someone say like, hey, what is this experience like for you? You know, I've done some research on it and I know it presents differently in other people in different people. So I would love to hear how this works for you and, you know, what I can do to support you in that is kind of the best way that I could approach it because I could give, you know, what helps me, which is like, you know, first of all, a lot of my own work in therapy and like doing my own, like taking responsibility over my own responses and reactions, but also having folks in my life that are okay, reassuring me if I need it and who are a little bit more on the gentle side, <laughs> generally. <laughs> what helps with um, time management or memory? Are there like specific things that you can do? Yeah. So for starters, meds. Um, meds are really, really helpful for many, many people. And we can go into that if you have questions around that. And then there's also a lot of different strategies. My kind of first approach is always, what are your external circumstances and environment? And can we change that instead of trying to change you and your brain? Uh, because my belief is there's nothing wrong with our brains. There is when we're trying to interact under capitalism and under like the world as it is right now. And I hope no one takes that as like, that I don't think it's a struggle because trust me, I know it is. But first of all, it's like, okay, what is your job? Like, is there an opportunity to change around your schedule? And there's a lot of privilege in this. It's certainly not possible for everyone. This is why I choose to work mostly with entrepreneurs at this point. Because my favorite question is like, how can we design your life around your brain? Like, I don't start anything until after 10 a.m. because my brain is like totally not on. <laughs> and I, I chunk similar things in the same day so I can hyper-focus. <laughs> so that's kind of my first go-to. If that's not possible for multiple reasons that it could not be possible, I think meds can often be really helpful. And then different strategies, like, you know, whatever type of planning or organizing system may work. I use a mixture of a bullet journal and a Google calendar. And everyone kind of has a different system that can work for them. Though I will say it can be really harmful when someone's like, hey, I'm struggling. And someone's like, hey, have you tried a planner? Or like, have you tried <laughs> alarms? And it's like, oh, no, never. Like, I never thought of that. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> but these things can help if they're like, thoughtful and individualized to the person. Do you think that a lot of like what the secondary issues are, are is sort of like judging yourself for having it? Like you kind of talked about these secondary symptoms that you see are even more harmful. Is that just a necessary kind of like 
shame or what, what, how does that manifest? I do think a lot of it is shame and lack of acceptance, which is completely reasonable because it's so hard to accept something about you in a society that often doesn't accept that within you. So I'll I'll often see a lot of people say like, okay, I've come to accept this thing about me, but like, I have to go to work Mm -hmm. and they don't accept it about me. So (laughs) we're stuck here. But yeah, I definitely think it's complicated with different things, right? Like some people have generalized anxiety disorder and ADHD. I often see a lot of people with um, anxiety, depression as a result of untreated ADHD or unsupported ADHD. And then just deep shame, deep self-esteem issues, challenges. Like I often hear people myself included, saying stuff like, I'm just so scared that one day my mask is going to fall off and everyone, I'm going to be exposed to everyone's going to see like the messiness and how much I struggle and like the inside of my closet and all of those things. And I think that's particularly true for a lot of people who are high achieving. So I say that instead of high functioning, I don't like those labels personally. A lot of folks who are you know, in law school or run a business or doing these different things appear really successful on the outside and are (laughs) like, those things are all true. And oftentimes there's this like, but what if they like see the other side of me? And that can bring a lot of shame and just like incongruence. Can I ask why you don't like the term high functioning? So this is stuff I've actually learned more from the autism world. There's a lot of different reasons. I think at the core is that these functioning labels are really based off of like how much you can produce under capitalism and how well other people can like perceive you or adapt to you. So it's really more of like an external measure. And I find a lot of people who are quote, high functioning are suffering tremendously. So it can really take that away from people. And then it can put low functioning people who are wonderful, amazing humans. It can really dehumanize them. And again, just like put them into this box of like how well they're functioning against these societal norms that are really harmful, period. (laughs) Yeah, it's so interesting to try to parse out like how the ADHD brain is working, because I know like for my partner, they maybe they'll be clumsy. And then in the beginning of our relationship, you know, I'd be like, oh, like you spilled or something. And they would be like, you, you can't like scold me because for little, you know, things, Mm. because it's hard to like not be messy in some instances while eating or while, you know, there's like all these little (laughs) things that I'll find like, you know, hairbrushes in the kitchen and be like, but, but it's like, you have to, I had to just be like, this is, this is just what's happening versus like being, I don't know how to explain, like, how do you explain if someone was like, walk me through how you got here? How do you say say your brain is working? Oh, I love that question. And I just also like, I so appreciate your curiosity and like exploration with your partner around these things. I know like as partners, it can also be really hard and we can be really difficult in a lot of ways. So really appreciating. Look, I'm no walk in the park, believe me. So (laughs) yeah, we've all got, you know, all the goods and all the bads, I guess. But, you know, thinking about your like brush in the kitchen example, I think about something that happened the other day to me, which was I bought a cantaloupe. I was like, so thrilled about it. I cut it up one night and I was like, after this is how my brain goes after like obsessively trying to make a decision, should I eat the whole cantaloupe? Should I put half of it away? I'm going to probably really want it tomorrow, (laughs) but like, I also really want it right now. So this like decision fatigue analysis paralysis over something so small. Finally, I'm like, you're going to put the other half away and you're going to be so pumped to eat it tomorrow. So the next day I go to get it and I'm like, where is the cantaloupe? Like, why isn't it in the fridge? Where should be? I'm so confused. I'm like searching through the fridge. And then I was like looking everywhere. Like, is it in the freezer? Like, that's something I would do. Is it like in the cabinet? And then I finally found it in the container, in the container cabinet, rather than in the refrigerator where it should have been. So that's kind of like what's going on in my brain there is just not 
being present, really having so many things going on in my mind, like living in this like hyperactive, chaotic world in my brain and just not being present. So like, okay, put this into the refrigerator. And then what can happen, you know, what I work towards is like kind of like humor, compassion, acceptance when those things happen. And I've really gotten to the point where I'm like, (laughs) of course, (laughs) and can kind of laugh about it. But previously, and still sometimes that stuff can really lead to a shame spiral because it's not something that just happens like once a year. It's like something of that nature is happening like every day and it can really build up and create a lot of stress and anxiety and just like self-flagellation. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Like what role has meds played in your life? Like, did you, are you on medication? Have you seen that? Has that helped a lot? I'm currently not on medication, but I have been twice. I've been on Ritalin two times, once at the end of law school when I was really struggling. And then again, after my sister passed away, when I was also really struggling each time they really helped. They really gave me sort of the boost I needed to do all of the things that you want and need to do like to take care of yourself. But with ADHD, like if your dopamine isn't regulating properly, there's no amount of willpower sometimes that can like get you to do the things. So it helped me start exercising, start socializing a little bit more, start... Everything just felt a little easier. So stuff like leaving the cantaloupe in the cabinet would happen about 25%, 75% less than it happens without meds and things like that. And so it really adds up over time and can be really, really helpful. For me personally, with owning my own business and with being able to really create my lifestyle around how I work, there feels like there's less of a need for it at this moment. I also deal with a lot of chronic illness things. And so stimulants can interfere with that. So for me at this point, it just feels better without them, but I could easily go back on them at some point. With most of the clients that you work with, are do they tend to, to be medicated or is it a range? It's definitely a range. It's something that comes up all the time, um, both in my community and with my one-on-one clients. There's so much stigma and shame around medication. So there's a lot of like, why don't you want to be on meds? Like what's going on? What's going on for this decision? And I always really encourage, I mean, I'm very med neutral in that I don't think they're good or bad. I think if they work for people, then they're great. And if they don't, then cool. So yeah, I would say it's probably a mix. And I do see some correlation between like, what is the job that they're doing and how hard is that for that person's brain or how hard is the lifestyle for that brain? And if it's really hard or incompatible, there does seem to be more of a need for meds. But even in a perfect lifestyle, you know, meds can be super helpful also. There's side effects too, though. I know like I, and I don't know if it's tied into shame or whatever, but people that I know will like have days where they do take their meds and have days where they don't take their meds. And like, it's not like a consistent, like for me, if I don't take my bipolar meds, it's over. Yeah. Like, I think you guys kind of, from what I've seen with family members and my partner, it's like, okay, I'll take them today because I have work I need to do and I won't take them tomorrow. Yeah, they're definitely, if they're stimulant meds, like that, that totally is possible. And I do see people using it that way or like only using them on weekdays, for example. Mm -hmm. But there are other meds that do need to be taken every day that are more like long acting non stimulant meds. When you have like a client session, what type of stuff are you, are you normally working on with them? It really depends. Um, I've kind of moved more into the realm. Most of my one on one clients, at least at this point, are entrepreneurs. So, actually doing a lot of like business exploration, which is a lot of kind of deconstructing a lot of common business advice and helping folks come up with strategies and approaches that really work for them and feel aligned with what's important to them. But outside of that, like more businessy stuff, I work a lot with my clients and in the community on kind of approaches to time management systems, helping people figure out what's going to work for them, uh, working a lot on decision fatigue. A lot of what I'm doing is identifying rigid thinking patterns, which is a huge thing for us. Like really uh, kind of, we're not great with like flexible thinking (laughs) so often. So I do a lot of identifying that and saying like, Hey, it seems like there's, you know, uh, this or that approach here. Like, is there any other option? Are there any other options here? So I do a lot of that, a lot of helping folks verbal 
process because many of us with ADHD are external processors and really struggle to work through something internally. So honestly, a lot of what I do is just ask the right questions and allow people to work out what they need to work out out loud and be like, great. (laughs) That sounds awesome. (laughs) And that can really help with one of the other kind of huge things that I see, which is like this deep decision fatigue, just like feeling so overwhelmed by like, should I do this option or should I do that option? And it can be something big for like careers or moves, but I often actually see it with like much kind of smaller day by day. Like, should I shower first? Like, so a lot of our brains will go like, okay, I need to go to the, I want to go, go to the gym. I'm going to go grocery shopping. And we, instead of just like doing it, it's like, okay, (laughs) I'm going to do all these things. Like if I'm going to do this, should I shower first? Should I go to the gym first? If I go grocery shopping, I've got to do this. And we can spend all this time with our brains just like spinning. And then we exhaust ourselves so much that we're just like, forget it. (laughs) Yeah. Then it's four hours later and you're like, I haven't done anything. I'm done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm exhausted and I literally did nothing. So this is great. (laughs) Do you think that like procrastination is often like misdiagnosed ADHD in a way or like what people view as procrastination? Mm -hmm. Because it's not that you guys don't want to do it. You do want to do it. Oh, yes. Yeah, so badly. So I think about, I often differentiate between motivation and activation of the brain. So I think when we talk about procrastination and being lazy and all these things, we're thinking about motivation. So it's like, if you were motivated, you would do the thing, right? That is just simply not true. ADHDers are some of the most motivated people I know. And there's so many strengths, with that, which I can go into in a minute. But what often is a struggle is the physical activation of our neurotransmitters and you know different differences in our brain. So I think it's an ADHD researcher, I believe Dr. Russell Barkley, I could be wrong. So don't quote me on that. I can maybe update after talks about neurotypical people being activated by importance and priority. So if something is important and and it's a priority, your brain's doing the thing. It's pumping the neurotransmitters, sending out those reward signals. So you're like, yeah, let's go. (laughs) That is like the complete opposite for ADHD years, we're activated by interest. So we have a very much like a very interest-based nervous system. We're activated by urgency, which is what procrastination is. Procrastination is a way to get us to have that urgent thing activated so we can actually get the thing done. (laughs) Oftentimes it's the case with that. We're activated by challenge and novelty. So you see a lot of ADHD is like a lot of people say like, well, you can focus when you want to. Mm. And that's true. <laughs> um, but that it doesn't mean what people think it means. Uh, what it means is that ADHD is not a challenge of focus. Um, it's not a lack of focus. It is a challenge regulating our focus when to turn it on and turn it off. And oftentimes over-focus, hyper-focus and difficulty transitioning and regulating that is really the more the problem. So if you have an interest-based nervous system, yeah, you can focus when you're interested in something, but it doesn't mean you're not trying when you can't focus on something you're not interested in. <laughs> you just, mm-hmm. your, your brain's not doing the thing, <laughs> which is really frustrating. Um, can we talk about sensory issues? Cause I didn't, yeah. my, so my younger sister uh, also has ADHD and when we were kids, you know, she needed the tags cut out of her shirts and fireworks were not doable for her. And I didn't realize that all of these sort of sensory things are ADHD symptoms as well. So what what are you experiencing? Do you have that? And what are you experiencing? And what is what is that about? Yeah, absolutely. So I think sensory sensitivities are one of the I'm so glad you brought that up um, are one of the least talked about things within the world of ADHD. And I think sensitivity in general, which is not what most people think of, you know, there's like lack of empathy. My experience is the total opposite. There's like a highly sensitive nature to everything for for me and for many people I work with. Of course, not everyone with ADHD and sensory stuff is absolutely a part of that. In fact, one of the, I mean, I think one of my top three performing posts on Instagram was one about sensory sensitivities, just like, hundreds and hundreds of comments being like, 
what? I had no idea. Yeah, this is me. This is me. Everyone like talking back and forth, like you do this. I do this too. Wow. So yeah, I think there's a range, right? There's sensory processing disorder. And then I think there's a range outside of that. So just more in the realm of sensitivities. I see a lot of what you talked about, the tags needing to be cut out. I see a lot of noise. Like I live in the middle of a literal forest by myself, like no noise. It's great. <laughs> um, it helps my nervous system so much. And yeah, just like aversion to certain textures or a lot of people really struggle with like what water feels like. So showering can be really hard or like water in the eyes. One of your posts, one of your posts was like, me setting alarms and then and then jumping every time the alarm goes off which is like my partner's so easily spooked oh yes any noise is like like what is with the startling (sighs) i have that i have a lot of sensory issues i have a lot of sensory issues and i have a, a high startle response um it's interesting and it's like it's not fun <laughs> I know it it's so not fun and like because you live in fear of it right so like if I go to like a play or like a Vegas show or something and you know there's gonna be or like a concert where you know there's going to be like these like theatrical explosions I live in fear of that so I'm mm-hmm. like sitting there in the audience with my hands over my ears like crouched over like mm-hmm. hoping that like that past you know like in fe- like a fear like the full minute before it even happens you yeah. know and it's like everyone else is just sort of like why are you reacting like this yes. <laughs> yeah it's a it's a real thing and it's definitely really common I don't really know like if they're if or what the kind of neurobiological basis is for it I often wonder if it is more of like a trauma type response not really sure for myself at least not for everyone but yeah it's definitely a real thing and I you know it's hard for like you bringing up your partner my ex-partner now my friend I felt so bad for him because he would be like so scared to like walk into a room because literally he can like walk into a room and I'm like, <laughs> like jump off the floor yeah. and he's like, like I don't know how to do that. I don't know what to, how to approach you. I do that too. Yeah. My ex Sorry. like would walk in and I would scream. Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh I don't want to do this, but I don't know how not to. So here we are. <laughs> oh my God. And I sometimes you try to be like hyper aware. Are they there? Yes. Are they not there? So that yes. like you don't get scared by them. <laughs> It's so true. And I find myself being so like around other people when I'm like going to walk up to them because I just like project and think that everyone has a startle reflex like mine. I'm like (laughs) trying to like shuffle on the floor to like make sure they can hear me coming. (laughs) I was going to say, okay, so so we got a lot of questions about dating someone with with ADHD. So what do you what do you recommend? I found for me. Yeah. Like letting go of frustration or just letting go of like expectation on, you know, like just not just being like, this is not like something that is being done to you. Mm. So I'm thinking from my perspective as the ADHD partner, I think, you know, what comes up, which is so obvious, is just like really open communication and a lot of compromising. Mm hmm you know, at the end of the day, like figuring out for the non-ADHD partner, like what's to make it or break it, right? Like for some people, maybe it's not okay for them to live in a house that's super messy or to have whatever these things are. But I think that for oftentimes there's things that can be compromised on. For example, like I think about my ex-partner would say like, hey, like I don't care if there's dishes in this thing, but there needs to be at least one set of clean silverware at mm-hmm. all times. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I can totally do that. And so clear kind of compromising like that and having a clear directive like that, it's just like, great. Okay. I can totally handle that. So clear communication on like what is make it or break it stuff. Um, also grace if, if sometimes those fall through, but I do think it's important like ADHD, I view it more as kind of just an explanation of what's going on and not an excuse, right? Like we're still humans, we're still capable and we still are in partnership with someone. And that means that there needs to be compromise and working on things that are hard for us that are really impacting our partner. So it's kind of like the stance, I guess. No, for sure. Yeah. A lot is like letting go of shame too. Yeah. Like don't make fun. I mean, it sounds obvious, but like don't make fun 
and like, don't like be like, oh, why do you have to, you know, and, and also the shame of talking about it. Right. So like, you know, if there's an errand that needs to be done during the middle of the day, I can go do it. I can do some work in the morning, go do it and then come back. Mal cannot. Mal needs to keep working straight through or else <laughs> yes. it's all derailed. And yeah. so, but that's just, that's just different. Types. I mean, there are things that I, I need and I do, and I, you know, there are, there, it's just like, it's, it's, it's specific to, to what you have or what you're diagnosed with, but it's no different than a partnership of being like, what works for you? What works for you? Like who needs that's to, it. who needs to do what, who can, because if I insisted, if I was like, Mal, you know, you need to go do this thing at noon then they would never get their work done. And like, how is that me being supportive? Mm -hmm. It's so true. I think that also what comes up is like getting to two things come up. One is like you said, everyone has things that they're good and not so great at in a relationship. And I think it can also be really helpful to have your partner really recognize and acknowledge the strengths because there are so many and being acknowledged and recognized for that can make it feel a little bit better when there's things that aren't so good. Cause it's like, okay, here's my package. Like mm -hmm. I come with a lot of great things and a lot of not so great things, but like it feels at least then it feels like I'm being acknowledged for the good things as well. <laughs> what are the good things? Tell us the good things. Again, obviously depends on the person, but a lot of the things that I see ADHD folks are often really good in like a crisis or an emergency. There's a theory out there called like ADHD people being hunters and not farmers. So having this like super attuned kind of fast pace, like you go out for a hunt, everything gets activated, you're attuned to everything, right? Versus farming where it's like so slow and boring and you've got to wait and plan everything out. So there's a theory out there that we're kind of like evolved more from the hunter neurotype, which is really cool. And then there's a lot of, a lot of empathy a lot of attunement to other people's needs, like what's going on in the environment, tons of creativity, ingenuity, out of the box thinking, making connections between things that, that most people don't. A lot of people are really spontaneous and fun. I don't know, there's so many things, but those are the ones that come up. Uh, right off the top of my head. What are like some of the best techniques to sort of to work through that that shame and to get to a place of, of self-acceptance, even if society isn't necessarily where it needs to be in terms of accepting? Mm -hmm. I think, as I said before, kind of first of all, with whatever is within your power, adapting your environment, your circumstances to meet your brain. And of course, again, that's not always possible. Outside of that, I really think community is for me and for a lot of the people I work with has been the most powerful thing. Like a lot of our group calls, it'll look like people just being like, Hey, like this happened to me. Is this an ADHD thing? Does anyone else experience this? And everyone's like, yes, like vigorously like, <laughs> nodding their heads. And then we don't even have to do like a lot of problem solving. A lot of the time, sometimes we do, but honestly having folks just be like heard and seen I think from that place of acceptance and compassion, like that's where change can happen if, if folks choose to make the change that they want. I know for me, at least, I'll be like at home by myself. So I'll be like super stuck in something and I'll be like, what's wrong with me? You know, getting on that whole, like I'm a loser, you know, that all that negative self-talk stuff mm -hmm. that can happen. And then I'll be like, wait a second. Like, I heard this from like 12 other people in the community this week. Like, I'm definitely not alone. This is definitely something that many of us struggle with. And when other people tell me about it, I just want to like give them a hug and like make them tea. So like, maybe let me try doing that with myself. <laughs> yeah. Self-compassion really is a beautiful drug. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For sure. One of my favorite treatments out there. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> Um, this is so helpful. And now I would like to play a silly game show with you. <laughs> I love it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. So stick around after the break. We'll be playing hypotheticals. Back to just between us, it's time for hypotheticals. Uh, this is a game where you and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You would, can ask any clarifying questions you have and then tell me what you would do in those situations. So does that sound fun or terrifying? 
both, but I'm so down. Let's do it. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay, so our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? You jokingly ask your partner to break up with you so you can listen to Olivia Rodrigo's new album as a single slash angry person. (laughs) They agree and you decide to block each other for an hour to make it seem real. When you unblock them an hour later, you find out that they use this time to make out with their coworker. They claim to have not understood the bit. Would you stay with this cheater? Was it a bit? Or were you trying to get something out of this and then you're upset that they got something out of it? I mean, for you, you didn't think it actually meant you were broken up. You were just trying to get in a fun headspace for a new album. Okay, well, I would (laughs) I would leave and then I would just listen to Good For You. (laughs) I would want to understand what they thought the rules were and if they were operating within what they thought were consented and agreed upon rules. And if so, I'd have some leniency. And if not, then like, we're probably like, I'm probably really upset with you. <laughs> yeah. Is there concern that their coworker was so down to do this? I was going to say, what's the deal? What's the deal with the coworker? What's the deal with the coworker? Fair. I guess they've always had a thing for them, but they've been in a monogamous relationship with you. And they were like, hey, I've been single uh, for exactly 30 minutes. Want to make out? And then the person's like, yeah. Yeah. They were like, we're breaking up for an hour. Do you want to make out? Oh, they knew it was only for an hour? Yeah, your partner knew it was only going to be for an hour. And the coworker knew also. Yes. Good for her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not loving it, but there'd be some communication probably. Our next game. Is this a date? About once a week, a sandwich guy comes to your office to sell sandwiches. One day, you ask if they have any tuna sandwiches left, but he doesn't. He tells you that he will save a tuna sandwich for you tomorrow and bring it at one o'clock because that's right before he goes on break. Is this a date? And do you have to pay for the sandwich? (laughs) (laughs) This is so funny because it's just bringing up as a newly bisexual person, I'm in all of these, like, is this a date question? If the sandwich guy was a lesbian, then yes, it's a date. Right? And no, you don't have to pay for the sandwich. <laughs> because, it's a, because it's a sandwich guy. Am I into him? Right. Yeah, you've always had like, you've always had like a good like banter whenever he comes to the office. You know what I would do? As I would say, I would find out his favorite sandwich and then I would bring his favorite sandwich to work and then we would switch sandwiches Cute. and then I wouldn't have to pay for the sandwich and then it would kind of be like flirty. I love that. That's the cutest date I've ever heard. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Unless he was like, why would you bring me a sandwich? I literally am the sandwich guy. <laughs> okay, so I'd find out like what like what his favorite Thai food or or halal or whatever is and I would bring it to him I think that's great I love that I think I would probably if I wanted it to be a date I would probably treat it like a date and I would offer to pay for the sandwich and see how it wins unfortunately it's not a date oh why he's just very he's very good at his job so I do have to pay for the sandwich (laughs) yes you do (laughs) (laughs) that's a real bummer and then you just made something you brought him something for no reason does he have to pay for that well that's all that you can't make someone pay for a gift (laughs) i think you can i think you can gabby you lost (laughs) i know Yeah, gabby you both embarrassed yourself and lost the 15 dollars on on the pad tie that you brought him Oh, okay. I was like, the sandwich is $15, but it's the pad tie that's $15. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That sucks for me. Bummer. Truly. So our final game. Are you a terrible parent? Your child is turning five. And for their birthday, they want to dress up as Elsa and Anna from Frozen with you for the entire day. Okay. You agree, but say you will have to change when at work because you are a high-powered attorney. <laughs> They sob and insist you dress as Elsa for the entire day or they will have a terrible birthday. You give in and show up at work dressed as a Disney character and this causes you to get fired. Are you a terrible parent? You get fired for dressing like Elsa? (laughs) Yes, because you have a really important meeting and the client doesn't respect you due to this and they they drop the firm and then you get fired. 
I would walk away and I would go, the cold never bothered me anyway. And then sashay <laughs> out. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would be really bummed if my work environment was so anti me dressing up as Elsa for a day. <laughs> like, whatever. So you think you you think you're a good parent, but but you worked in a bad place. Exactly. Screw Get a new place. job. Get yeah. a new job. We hate this place. So you don't see like giving into your child, your five-year-old child's demands that they <laughs> cause major repercussions in your life to be a bad move? <laughs> okay, maybe there could be some compromising with the child. Like probably I'd be like, hey, like, can I wear like sparkly underwear or like something really cool that is like only we know about like it's our little secret i would try to like go there but the kid is like the kid is like you can wear your normal clothes but you must wear the blonde elsa wig (laughs) right right there may be some room for compromise that's probably the angle i would go for can't fire you for wearing a wig right that's it i bet plenty of places have also true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we let our guests go, we put them in the hot seat and we ask them to rate their experience being on the on the podcast. Yeah. Any constructive criticism. If you want to create your own rating scale, we would love that. Cool. Yeah. I I mean, I think this has been amazing. You two are both, I feel really down to earth. I feel like your questions were really like thought out and informed about ADHD already, which just feels really good. The pacing felt really good. Oh, pacing. Thank goodness. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It felt, yeah, really like down to earth and casual, which like helps lower my anxiety around things. So yeah, overall, it was an amazing experience and I feel really lucky and fortunate to be on here. So thank you. Where can people find you, follow all the work that you're doing and learn more about this? Yeah. So I spend most of my time on Instagram. So it's at authentically ADHD. And and that's actually not true. I spend most of my time in my community off Instagram, (laughs) um, which is a paid community, but it's sliding scale. You can find information about that on my website, which is authenticallyadhd.com slash membership. It's a community for women and non-binary folks with ADHD, self-diagnosed, questioning, fully diagnosed, whatever fits. Um, and it's a lot of fun. And that's where I would have, have people want to hang out with me. In. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. If anyone has anything follow up, feel free to just like send me an email or something. I'm sure they will. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thank you to Jack for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin, and Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa D. Montz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash team or youtube.com slash just between us show make sure to follow us on twitter instagram and facebook at forever dog team to keep up with all the latest forever dog news and follow me and gabby on our own socials at gabby dunn gabby road gabby just gabby look her up uh i'm at allison raskin and also at emotional support lady um and leave us a review on apple Podcasts if you're feeling generous forever dog